It is Tuesday, May 18th, 2021. It must be five o'clock. It is. It's the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford City, here in the northwest of the UK. Hope your Tuesday has been good to you. Thanks for joining me. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, it was due to just be me and you having a chat this afternoon, but just before coming on air, I had an email from Cindy Connolly. Cindy is an Irish woman who lives in London. She flew to Dublin last Friday because she, she was coming into Ireland to look after her father. She passed a lateral flow test in London. When she got to Dublin, uh, they put her in quarantine. She spent the weekend in quarantine, and I think she was released yesterday, maybe this morning. She's disgusted with the way she was treated and has asked me, can she come on the programme? Cindy Connolly, to describe her own experience, will be on with me a little bit later on. As I said, reached out to me just before... I came on here today. And uh, yeah, I was planning on just me and you having a chat and running down the headlines. And the reason for that is, I think I've told you this, I think we've had a conversation about this. I'm going to be scaling back just a smidgen now. Just like 1.5 points. Got to say points if you're talking to Americans. 1.5% scaling back. I can't keep speaking with doctors or scientists who tell us that everything is terribly wrong and that lockdowns are unnecessary and that the viruses might be dangerous. I just can't keep doing that every day. We'll do it from time to time, but I can't, I can't keep listening to it. I don't know about you. I think it's established now what, 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 what is really going on. So some of the time, I'm just going to spend an hour, 90 minutes with you, having a bit of the crack, as it were, and sending up some of this madness in the way that we send it up. So there you are. But as I said, Cindy reached out to the programme and just before I came on air, and I said, ah, sure, the best laid plans of mice and men. Of course, uh, she can come on the programme. She'll be with us a little bit later on. Hey, there are more than a million hospital admissions, excuse me, more than a million hospital admissions for obesity, related treatment, so obesity-related treatment, a million admissions in England in the year leading into the so-called pandemic. So this was reported today, BBC Telegraph Daily Mail. The record number provides the clearest indication, says the BBC, of the scale of the obesity problem as coronavirus started to spread across the UK. So it says, does the story, is that being overweight is one of the most significant risk factors for severe COVID. Now, any number of doctors told us on this programme that if you are obese or very overweight, that's considered a morbidity or a comorbidity. And yes, you would be more susceptible to a respiratory illness, whether that be flu or COVID-19, whatever COVID-19 is. Experts, according to the BBC, says say even the data should be a wake-up call for tackling obesity in the country. We're morphing into the United States. 
slowly but surely. And the usual arguments were dragged up today about banning the advertising of junk food, fizzy drinks and all that nonsense that we've heard so many times before. So the ending of all restrictions then, Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, published a roadmap, a much fated roadmap, didn't he? And the, room, uh, the roadmap said that all restrictions should be lifted on June 21st, about six weeks away, or, or, or a month away, five weeks away. All restrictions should be lifted on June 21st, and that it would be irreversible. Irreversible. Keep that in mind. So yesterday, hugs were permitted. Spent too much time on that yesterday, as it happened, so I won't get into it today. But indoor dining and drinking and holidays returned yesterday too. Loads of Brits, the lucky sods, have decamped to the Algarve. Oh yeah. But now the Indian variant of COVID is being talked up in the media. You've heard all the scare stories out of Bolton and out of Blackburn. And we were told that there's at least one Indian COVID variant case in over 80 local authorities. Yeah. Today, Boris Johnson was scheduled to hold a cabinet meeting to discuss what to do about the Indian variant. Now, ITV is reporting that a government source told it that there is a close to nil chance of life returning to normal from June 21st. That put the cat among the pigeons today. The vaccinated, God love them, heaven help them, made the baby Jesus keep them close to his heart. Those who've had two doses of vaccine, they can't believe it. <laughs> what? We can't believe it, you promised us. So there's murders going on. We'll hear some of it in a few minutes. Here's Boris Johnson himself speaking from a vaccination centre. Where else, of course, uh, this lunchtime speaking about Indian variants and unlocking and easing of restrictions and all of that. We're keeping everything under very, very careful, close review. We're looking at all the data as it comes in from uh, places like uh, Bolton, uh, Blackburn, Bedford, uh, Seft and other places, just looking at those curves, where they're, they're moving, trying to understand uh, whether the Indian variant is uh, more transmissible, and if so, by how much more it's transmissible, and also trying to understand to what extent uh, our vaccine programme has already uh, sufficiently fortified us all against it. And uh, I'm afraid we've just got a, a, a few more days of looking at that data, but as things stand at the moment, I can see nothing conclusive in the data to say that we uh, have to deviate from the from the present roadmap. But we've got to be cautious and we'll be letting people know in a, in a few days' time. Be afraid, be very afraid. We'll let people know in a few days' time. Lying little fatso, eh? Eh, Bojo? Is Bojo considered one of the one million obese who've uh, sought medical treatment in the last 12 months? I don't know. And what about the unwashed? I mentioned this a moment ago. Surely the penny will drop eventually, won't it? Surely the tens of millions who rushed to vaccination centres and rolled up their sleeves and proffered their arms and said, vaccinate the living bejesus out of me and then please release me, let me go. And Matt Hancock said we will. When we've vaccinated all the vulnerable people, it will be Freedom Day. But he was a lying little fatso too. Because... Freedom Day hasn't arrived. 
So will the penny drop with these people who rushed to the vaccination centres and rolled up their sleeves? Surely they'll acknowledge one day soon that they were duped, they were had, they were pwned. <laughs> right? Surely they will. Yeah, you're right, Paulie. Yeah, they did us. They did us up like a kipper. We got the vaccines. We believed them. Anyway, they were told that vaccines mocked fry. Achtung. So they offered up the old arms. And here they are. Now they're being threatened with more lockdowns while being told to continue wearing masks and social distancing. Oh, and they should expect booster jabs this autumn. So the vaccinated are angry bejeepers. Are they angry with Boris Johnson, Matt Hancock, the dipsticks, the chuckle brothers that are Chris Whitty and Patrick Valance? Or the three stooges that are Van Tam, Whitty and Valance? Are they angry with them? No, they're angry with you. They're angry with me because because we didn't have a jab and we saw it coming. So rather than, rather than I don't know, save their ire for those who deserve it, they're coming after us, the unvaccinated. You moronic muppets. They told you it would be Freedom Day when you were vaxxed. They lied. You silly sausages. How many times does a liar have to lie before you say, I don't believe you? Eh? Indian variants and all that garbage. The unvaxxed, the unvaxxed, everything will be blamed on the unvaxxed because the unvaxxed, well, to them anyway, we're a shower of bastards, all of us. Because we won't do our civic duty. We won't take one for the queen and country. And uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Ten past five. The government has bought millions of pounds of advertising on UK television and radio stations. Hasn't it? It has. And the government has put aside £380 million for advertising for the next 12 months. Covid advertising. Why would the government want to do that if it was planning on releasing us all from lockdown? forever on June 21st? The answer is obvious. They're a lying shower of bastards. They have no intention of releasing us all from this nightmare on June 21st. Hundreds of millions on advertising, spending it with television and radio. That might go some way, dear listener, to explaining why presenters are sounding more and more like Lord Ho-Ho. Ho-Ho. There is no more rabid purveyor of fine propaganda than the UK's primetime radio and telly presenters. Now, a chap called Richard from Nottingham, not King Richard, Richard, he called into LBC Radio this morning to speak with Nick Ferrari. Richard thinks the vaccinated are a bit like a cult. He thinks COVID is a cult. That's what he tells Nick Ferrari. My immune system beats the vaccine, says Richard. Well, Ferrari, Nick Ferrari is just a shill and shills, shill all the time. Richard is a teacher, by the way, listen to this. Prior to, you know, to this COVID, I've spent the best part of 12 years working across Asia as a teacher. Right. When, when all this broke out, I was based in Kuala Lumpur. So, yeah, so at, at the height of the, of the COVID pandemic, I was flitting from Kuala Lumpur to Bangkok to Singapore. Right. So I've got a perfectly functioning immune system. So why should I take take something I don't need? Well, presumably when you visit some countries in Asia, you take malaria tablets or whatever else if you're going no, to... No, 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 I don't. What has malaria tablets got to do with anything? Richard was very eloquent there 
Why would I take something? Why would I? I've got a perfectly good immune system. Why would I take something that I don't need? What the hell has malaria tablets got to do with it? I don't. No, I don't. I, I do like to say I've got a perfectly good immune system. How? how? I've worked eight different countries. Okay. Um, I, I hope you have. But don't you think that there may be many of the 127,000 people whose lives have been attributed to COVID also thought they had tremendous sister, um, uh, immune systems, Richard? Well, but, you know, isn't it, isn't it my choice? If you're ill, and I hope you're not, do you expect the NHS to help you? No, no, I, I, I'd sign something. OK, if I get COVID, you know, you know, don't put me in hospital. Don't put you in hospital. Well, you'll have yeah. to go to... What, we'd leave you to die on the streets, do well, we? Listen, I, the, the chances of getting ill, you, you know, I, yeah, we, we passed the peak of the pandemic. Yeah, um, I've been doing yoga 21 years. Well, I've kept myself I, healthy. Respectfully, I don't care if you're doing life. yoga as you're talking to me now. 1,979 people yesterday contracted COVID. That's still a lot of people. And if there are too many people with your mindset, Richard, and I feel more confident to take you on because I sense we're more of the same sort of age, and I, there's other callers quite a lot younger. Yeah, I'm 52. OK, yeah. so we're roughly the same age. I'm a little older than you. If enough people behave in your, I have to say, selfish way, Richard, we won't well, make you... What do you mean, what do you mean selfish? Because if I mean, you get ill, my friend, and I wish you nothing but good health, you will go to the hospital and you will need a ventilator and you will need nurses probably to turn you on your front and on your back and they will fight very hard to save your life. And you've been too selfish because, quotes, I do yoga and I have a perfect immune system. No, I'm happy to take you on because you're in your 50s, so this is a fair fight. This is a fair fight, he says. Tough guy, Nick Ferrari, hardly a fair fight. I don't know why Richard didn't say to him, listen, I've paid enough money. I've paid enough national insurance. I've paid enough income tax. I've not been in hospital before. Surely I've covered myself if I need to be in hospital for a few days, Nick. But he didn't. So Nick is uh, Richard is selfish because he won't take the jab. And by not taking the jab, he might get sick and then he'll be a burden on the NHS and the hospital and the nurses who will have to turn him over on his back and his belly and give him sponge baths and all the rest of it. Have the jab or you're selfish, says Nick Ferrari. Oh, by the way, did you catch that bit at the start about immune systems? But don't you think that there may be many of the 127,000 people whose lives have been attributed to COVID also thought they had tremendous sister, um, uh, immune systems? Ferrari is as stupid, as stupid is as stupid does, and Ferrari is about as thick as two short planks. Stupid. 127,000 dead is nonsense. The government and the ONS has admitted that at least a quarter of the deaths were wrongly listed as coronavirus for a start. The majority were old people with comorbidities, so I doubt they would have said they had robust immune systems. What crap from Nick Ferrari, but then he is crap. LBC is crap. This went on. Oh, I do yoga and I have an immune system so I won't get no, COVID. Exactly. Seriously. So why can't I rely on my own, my own immune system? Because you don't have the right to use up NHS resources by simply refusing to have, to have a jab that, mil that millions of others are clamouring to get, Richard. Ah, yeah, but they're not. Millions of others are dead. There are I people in India... How do you know vaccinated. you're not going to get... I cannot believe this. Because How? I... Because I you can't know, know that. It's a double it. negative. But you cannot know that. You, 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 you just can't be aware, uh, confident of that. But it's my life. Can I not take my own chance? Uh, no, not in this case. You can't. No. No, because you're jeopardising others, actually. You, know what? you can't. It's not your own life. It's my life. I can take my own chances. No, you can't, said Nick Ferrari. You can't. And you can't rely on your immune system. I'm confident of that. But it's my life. Can I not take my own chance? Uh, no, not in this case. You can't. No.
No, because you're jeopardising others, actually. You know what? <laughs> it feels like a bloody cult. I'm out there in September and I cannot wait. Good man. You don't have the right to rely on your own immune system. No, no, God, no. And it's not your own life to lead. No, you don't have body independence or bodily in, in, independence, bodily integrity. No. No, because other people's lives are at risk. What bollocks that is. Yesterday, Ferrari's stablemate, Sheila Fogarty, another heavyweight, by the way, boom, boom, two proper fat bastards, rotund, obese, let's call a spade a spade. Ferrari and Fogarty are a pair of fat fuckers. They should think about that when they're telling people not to burden the NHS, right? Fogarty asked a female caller yesterday on LBC, didn't she want to poison the coffee of the unvaccinated? <laughs> but how, how are you... I mean, I'd, I'd be, I would literally be in fights with these people. What, um, how, how do you keep... How do you keep uh, seeing them at I work just, without wanting yeah, to poison their coffee or something? How do you keep seeing them at work without wanting to poison their coffee? She's nice, isn't she? Don't, uh, just don't ask, because it, it just like, you know, I would just avoid hanging out with anyone like this socially. Um, they're colleagues, and they're very, very good carers. So it just baffles me. Are they good? They're talking about carers. The caller works in care, social care. And a lot of people who work in care do not want to have the vaccine. Quite right too. And they're talking about this woman. This woman is talking about her frustration that her colleagues don't want to take the jab. Fogarty already said, why don't you poison their coffee? No, she didn't say that. No, she did not. She said, I don't understand why you wouldn't want to poison their coffee. About other infection control? Oh, I... I would, I would say probably yes. They're quite good. But what but was it your? Make you wonder, your... doesn't it? Because it just seems very selfish. I just couldn't look at these relatives in the eye and say to them, "Oh, I, I can't be bothered to get it for my own sake." Uh, and just that's because you're a sane, well-adjusted, compassionate human <laughs> being, and they are off their rockers. And you're a fat bastard, but, uh, Sheila. But what are you going to do about that? Now, listen. You know me. I'm not sizest or. I don't objectify people. I don't look at people based on their size or anything like that. But if we're going to play these games, we can roll our sleeves up. These people are demanding that people take a vaccine so that they don't then get sick and burden the NHS. Well, have a look in the mirror, love. And maybe cut down on the cream teas, maybe. Maybe cut down on the fish finger sandwiches, maybe. Maybe just a little bit, you know. Don't have that breakaway bar with your coffee every morning, you know. These people make me sick. And, and this is a direct result of the government pul pumping, pulping, pumping millions of pounds into commercial and national uh, radio stations and television stations uh, to basically to buy these people so that these people become Lord Haw Haw. And I mean, they were never journalists to begin with anyway, but they weren't this bad, if you know what I mean. They weren't journalists, but they weren't this bad. Imagine Ferrari telling a guy, you don't have the right to rely on your own immune system. No, no, you have to get the jab. Unbelievable stuff, this. But it was everywhere today. Everywhere today. Off their rockers, she said. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Excuse me. Sheila Fogarty obviously has no sense of irony, talking, talking about poisoning people's coffee. The vaccines are poisonous. We know they are. A young 18-year-old trainee nurse had the vaccine. I gave her three blood clots. The fucking imbeciles at the emergency room kept sending her home three times. It's all over the press. This is the AstraZeneca jab. Three times these dickheads sent her home. 
until she could barely breathe. She couldn't even stand up. And then they were like, oh, Jesus, uh, it looks like you had a terrible reaction to the AstraZeneca jab. No sense of irony, Sheila Fogarty. Talking about poison, love. Poison people's coffee because they don't want to put poison into their veins. Holy God, Sheila Fogarty's got her own postcode, you know. Her neighbours walk around her for exercise. This is astonishing stuff. And on BBC Radio 5 Live this morning, Rachel Burden, let's hear about Rachel Burden, forced vaccination being hinted at by the presenter. It sounds subtle, but it isn't when you listen very carefully. Hinting at forced vaccination. This is a BBC goon. In Bolton at the moment, the numbers of 50 to 59-year-olds who've been vaccinated stands at 92%. By comparison, in Nottingham, it's 87%. In Blackburn, it's 91%. But if you're looking at sort of total population that's been vaccinated, in one particular area of Bolton, and this is the area with the most or the highest incidence of that particular variant of COVID cases, just 37% of the population has been vaccinated in that one area. That compares with an average of 50% in Bolton and 54% across the UK. So there clearly is an issue going on here. The question is, how do we resolve it? What should we do? Should there be... Um, I don't think anyone's talking about marching individuals up to a vaccination centre and telling them to go in and pulling their sleeve up for them. But uh, should there be some kind of greater drive to make sure people get out there and, in effect, do their public duty? or In effect, do their public duty. Nobody's talking about forced vaccinating people, she said. But 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 you brought it up, Rachel. Should there be? Um, I don't think anyone's talking about marching individuals up to a vaccination centre and telling them to go in and pulling their sleeve up for them. But... Uh... But you just brought it up. You put it out there. This is classic BBC. Well, nobody is saying that we should march people up to vaccination centres and roll their sleeves up and force them to have it. But, you know, we need to do something to make people understand that it's their civic duty or public duty. How could it be your public duty to receive an injection full of chemicals on behalf of somebody else? How could that be your duty? Mad stuff. March people to vaccination centres. Madness, isn't it? It's out there, you know. People are thinking about it. It's 22 minutes past five. You are with the Richie Allen Radio Show. There's nothing like it on planet Earth. Here's Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac and go your own way. This is Tuesday's Richie Allen Radio Show. Live from Salford City. Here in the uh, great northwest of the UK. It's been decent enough today weather-wise. Can't complain. I could complain, but who'd listen, you know? I'd complain, but who'd listen? Let me read a few of your tweets out there. Hi to, uh, let me go down there. Hi to Debs, who said I cared for my father with asbestosis. Asbestosis, yeah. They said it was safe to work with. They told him it was safe to work with asbestos. They did indeed, Debs. My mother's, my mother even had friends who gave birth to children with flippers for arms from thalidomide. They said it was safe. They will never tell me anything is safe. I've had it with them. Corporation means death, says uh, Debs. Thanks, Debs. I appreciate that. William tweets, My old neighbour of over 10 years has worked in the care sector via the council for over 25 years. I bumped into her in a shop the other day. We spotted each other immediately because we were both maskless. But the first thing she said was, 
it's no more than the flu. Cheers, William, for that. I to Cordelia. Cordelia says, Richie, I never experienced so many intakes of breath in such a short time. Still cannot believe what I am hearing. Spare a thought for me, Cordelia. Heather. It's Heather, actually. Heather, spare a thought for me. I've been in the media since 1998. I never thought I would witness this level of conduct, this type of conduct, from people who declare themselves to be journalists. I never thought I would see it, that I would live to see this. And here we are, Lord Ho Ho. That's what these people are, no doubt about it. Uh, Steve tweeted out something there a moment ago. Personally, says Steve, I'm keeping away from anyone who has had this experimental vaccine. Vaccine shedding, he asks. I might catch something viral off of them. Or just a severe case of gross sheer stupidity. That's Steve there. Keep the tweets coming in. Rob says, Richie, have you seen Holly Willoughby's post on Instagram when she got the jab? Absolutely ripped to shreds she was. I didn't, Rob. I didn't. I'm not on Instagram myself. So I, I don't see too much on Instagram, but I might go and check it out there. A number of you are saying that nobody's going to march you to any vaccination centres. Good to hear it too, thank you. John Pierce says, Richie, I'm more likely to go to hospital with nurses trying to save my life after receiving the vaccine. I'd agree with you. I- I'm touching wood here. I'm touching wood because you never know. But I'm fairly healthy. I run six kilometres virtually seven days a week. I know it's a bit much, but I do it anyway because I love it. And I listen to radio. I've never smoked in my life. I drink more than I should. I will fess up to that. But I'm in good good form. There's no chance that I'm going to get coronavirus and end up going to hospital. None. He says. Um, tempting fate, maybe. Shambhala says, Richie, absolutely vile indoctrinated human beings at LBC. They're akin to the cultists of Scientology. Nick Ferrari is just a sick individual, plain and simple. Uh, Thanks, Shambhala. Well, he's a compromised individual. Uh, Jane says, with respect to Ferrari, you shouldn't be lecturing, he shouldn't be lecturing anyone about health and the human immune system. Good health cannot be injected into us, says Jane. Jane goes on to say, healthy diet, regular exercise, fresh air, sunshine, interaction with others, Boosts our immune response to infection. Alan says, if anyone tries to jab me, then that needle will end up in the fecker's eye. Says Alan, good man. Good man. Paul says, those who are vaccine hesitant and mask dubious seem to be the new Brexiteers, don't they? Whipping boys for the inclusive woke brigade to use to vent their miserable spleens. A self-imposed distraction from facing a truth that they do not want to deal with. That's Paul on Twitter. Thanks for the tweets. It's half five. It's 5.30 or half past the hour, as it were. Thanks for your tweets. I'll read out more of them if we go along. Now, forced vaccination then, mandatory vaccine or punishing people who do not have the jab. Nicky Campbell, BBC Radio 5 Live. He has a daily phone-in every morning, Nicky boy, just after the breakfast show. He opens this morning's programme... Like this. Have a listen. Uh, so Andrew Lloyd Webber says that people who refuse vaccines are as bad as drink drivers. He said it jeopardises lives, people's future, people's jobs, people's livelihoods. Rachelson Mulvan, Matthews and Sandwell and Mark is 
in uh, on he's on the phone and he's uh, I'll tell you where he's in in just a second where I can sort it out. He's in the southwest. That's good enough for me. Hi, Rachel. Morning, Matthew. Morning, Mark. Welcome to your call this morning. It's an interesting one. How are you all? Okay. Yes, fine. Thanks, Nikki. Good. Oh, good. 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 Welcome. Um, I'm hearing myself come back in the background. Get on with it, Campbell, you dickhead. Background, but we'll sort that one out. So I understand Mark doesn't want to say exactly where he is. That's cool with me. Rachel, Matthew, um, yeah. Mark, and we've got Luke and John coming up as well. Is he right, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Rachel? Yes, 100% right. And <clears throat> personally, I'd go further. I'd, I, I, I'm so angry about this that people think... You know, after all the government's done to get the vaccines in this country, and you've only got to have a look in India and what's going on in those countries, the amount of people getting really under... I just find it disgraceful that people think they shouldn't have the vaccine. <laughs> I accept there are people with health issues that can't. But anybody else who refuses to have it, I honestly feel they should lose their jobs because they shouldn't be allowed to work with the public in any... Lose their jobs? ...in any capacity. They should have to stay at home. And if that's what they want to do, fair enough. Right, so if you don't have the vaccination, you should lose your job and you should have to stay at home. Wait now, hang on a second. Haven't people lost their jobs and been confined to their homes anyway, Rachel? Is Nicky Campbell any good? Is he, is he even a half-decent presenter? Because any half-decent presenter would jump in there. Hang on. Millions have lost their jobs there, Rachel. <laughs> through no fault of their own. And millions more are confined to their homes. You daft bint. What else does she say? But no benefits should be paid. No, no benefits either. No wages. No, no fucking wages. No, nothing. Because... Nothing! <laughs> if you don't have the vaccine, you should get nothing. That'll do me. Because, I'm sorry, this is a national thing... And lots of people are probably nervous about having had it. Nobody actually really wants So you're going to, to stop their benefits? Anything. Well, you're I, all hot, aren't you? I'd stop everything. You're, I would. You're full of compassion, Rachel, this I, morning. Yeah, Goodness I'm me. I'm sorry, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel is an absolute gift to a radio presenter like Nikki Campbell. It got worse, though, because Matthew was up next. Do you agree with Rachel? Matthew, do you agree with Rachel? Go on. Yes, totally. In fact, I'll go, <laughs> go one step further. Oh, for goodness who One step further? What's one step further going to take us? Carry on. Well, one step further. We, we should kill the unvaccinated. He's going to say, throw them out of the hospital bed they're currently occupying. Throw them out of the hospital bed they're currently occupying. And send them home. <laughs> send them home. If they refuse the vaccine. Send them home with no benefits. <laughs> no job. <laughs> they refuse the vaccine. And then it's their choice. You're they have like to make that choice if that's what they want. But do not take up resources in our NHS that's already overstretched by their refusal to take it. Because if they want to believe all the mumbo-jumbo they see online, that's totally up to them. My parents-in-law have refused to take the vaccine. They were now, his parents-in-law, his missus's mum and dad, his wife's mum and dad, have refused to take the vaccine. Matthew's not happy. They're eligible in February. They will not see their grandchildren until they do. He's withholding grandchild visits until they have the vaccine. They became eligible in February, but they refused the poison. More power to them. They won't be seeing their grandchildren, though. Simple as that. Because I don't want my kids at risk of A, giving it to them, or B, catching it off them. There's no yeah, way on earth. I, I agree. <laughs> <There's> no- <laughs> 
there's no way on earth. Why on earth should we pay, you know, for them to take up a bed when we've given them a perfectly good vaccine that is proven... Perfectly good vaccine. ...proven to be effective and that works. I and it works! ...vaccine. It put me in hospital for a day. What? But I haven't moaned. I've had the second one and it put me in hospital for another day. What was that? I had the vaccine. Right. It put me in hospital for a day. But I haven't moaned. I've had the second one and it put me in hospital for another day. <laughs> Now, if you missed yesterday's monologue, you won't know what the hell has just gone on there. Want to hear something so fucking ridiculous? So utterly fucking absurd? It's happened. It's a new medical condition. It's happened to me. I've developed it. I hear that fucking music in my head. Every time I hear something so profoundly fucking stupid that even Forrest Gump wouldn't say it, I hear this. What did he say again? What did Matthew say again? He's given out. He wants to throw people who haven't had the vaccine out of their hospital beds, stop their benefits, don't let them see their grandkids. And what happened to you, Matthew? I had the vaccine. It put me in hospital for a day. (laughs) But I haven't moaned. I've had the second one. And he put me in hospital for another day. But I'd much rather have that than COVID. Oh, God. I never laughed as much. We've got people doing some work here. Tradesmen, a man and a woman are here doing some work for us, some necessary work, because our bathroom is falling apart. Outhouses from the 1920s are are better than our bathroom, so it needs to be fixed. The guy looked around the corner this morning into the studio to see why I was laughing. I was on my back. I was like a cockroach, inverted, laughing my arse off. You're not going to believe it. It gets worse. Matthew wasn't finished at all. Listen to what he says next. This is Comedy Gold. Why on earth should somebody who has refused to have it take a bed that I might need if I have a bad reaction to it? (laughs) What, What did he say there? Why should an unvaccinated person get a bed what was that, Matthew? Why on earth should somebody who has refused to have it take a bed that I might need if I have a bad reaction to it? What kind of fuckery is this? <laughs> Mine got... My God. Why should an unvaccinated person waste a hospital bed that I might need if I have a bad reaction to the vaccine? At that stage, I needed oxygen. But there was none to be found. This is important that people hear this. So I asked my mate Juan. I have a mate called Juan. He's real. He's not a figment of my imagination. I said, Juan, do me a favour, mate. Will you translate what that dickhead Matthew said for my Spanish and Latin American listeners? Uh, Let's hear it again before we get Juan to translate it. Because um, you might think that you misheard that or... That um, you didn't quite catch it properly. Why on earth should somebody who has refused to have it take a bed that I might need if I have a bad reaction to it? <laughs> right, so I said, Juan, it's important that people understand how crazy things are getting over here in the UK. Translate it. Juan couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. He wasn't able. He tried, but he couldn't do it. Juan, I said, tell them. He said, why should someone refusing the vaccine take up a bed that he might need if he has a bad reaction to the jab? Tell him, Juan. He had a 
voy a la playa y había subido la marea. <risa> ¿Y tú? That's called corpsing in the trade. We'll come back to Juan in a minute. See, can he do it? Everybody needs to hear this. This is, uh, this is beautiful. How long have I been doing this? 2014, this particular show. I've been a world-class radio presenter since, since 1999. 1998, world-class, eh? My arse. I'm a pikey of the piracy airwaves is what I am. Um, so we'll, we'll get back to Juan in a minute. He's not able to tell our Latin American listeners what the fuck we just heard. He's right to laugh because it's madness. Why should you, the vaccine refuser, why should you get a hospital bed? We need to preserve the hospital beds for the people that fucking die from the vaccines. <laughs> oh, I've heard it all. I've heard it all. Jesus wept. How's Juan getting on? How are you getting on, Juan? Trying to tell people there in Latin America and in Spain. Yeah, they're driving the bike. You should have seen, you should have borne witness to this studio this morning when I heard that. I heard that by accident. I was going back through Radio 5 Live this morning. I can't even talk. And I thought, they're going to talk about mandatory vaccinations on the phone and surely we'll get some fucking crackpots, right? Ah, that takes the blue ribbon. That wins the internet for Tuesday, May 18th, 2021. Yeah, we, we need to... Um, Agawan, let's hear the original fucking comment again. Why on earth should somebody who has refused to have it take a bed that I might need if I have a bad reaction to it? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I swear to God and to Sonny Jesus that Nicky Campbell didn't bat an eyelid and just carried on. That made perfect sense to Nicky Campbell. This is Blondie Debbie Harry who's still fine looking for her age which is more than can be said for me one way or another on the Richie Allen show never a dull moment on your Richie Allen radio show the time is 15 minutes to 6 o'clock told you I'd make you laugh today couldn't make it up could you if somebody you know you couldn't make it up you know the French invented farce that's just madness so it is. Welcome to the programme, if you're just joining it. We're off to, um, well, shortly, as I said at the beginning of the programme, I told you at the top of the show, I wasn't planning on speaking with anybody today. I was just going to basically give you that nonsense for an hour or an hour and a half. But I got a message from Cindy, who's a London-based Irish woman, who flew into Dublin on Friday last from London to take care of her father, and she was put in quarantine, despite passing a lateral flow test in London. And she feels she's been treated very badly. 
excuse me, I just swallowed an enormous amount of water there. So Cindy got in touch and said, Richie, can I come on? Of course, you can come on. So we'll speak to Cindy live in about 15 uh, to 20 minutes time. Thanks for your tweets. Do I have time to read one or two more? Because, excuse me, uh, I need to get, I need to crack on. I need to crack on. I'm going to crack on because um, I have a lot to, to get through before the top of the hour. James O'Brien, LBC Radio, Dipstick. Woman called in, called his programme this morning. She's into natural healing and natural health. Sounds like a lovely lady. Um, but the arsehole James O'Brien couldn't help himself. Listen to this lady whose name hasn't been revealed. She phoned in. She's into natural healing. She's not an anti-vaxxer. She's just got concerns. Listen to the way it goes. Oh, hi, James. I've been really scared to ring about this subject. And the reason is because... Um, I'll give you the background. So... Um, I have always been in the natural health world and it's what I do for a living and it's what I believe um, inherently. So my default is to do everything naturally. I exercise, eat well, take the relevant supplements, all that kind of thing. So when the vaccine came As long as you're not seriously ill. Well, exactly. But my natural, the way my needle moved was I don't think I'm for the vaccine. Now, that doesn't make me a conspiracy theorist or weird person or anything like that. No, it doesn't. Does it not? And this is the problem. I'll tell you why it doesn't. Because I took my mum for her jab. I took, um, you know, I'm quite happy for that. I have, um, you know, I don't discuss this with many people. And I said to you, you know, the fact that even you just said, oh, it does a bit, that's so disrespectful to me. On the other side... It's it's really not, if it's true. No, it's not. On the other side, well, it I have is. those who are... Can I, can I speak? Yeah, well, of I course you can, but you've just accused me of being disrespectful, so I need to defend myself. Uh, He's detestable, isn't he, O'Brien? Defend myself. Uh, okay. You, you, you don't believe... Those... You're not for the vaccine. That, that is a conspiracy theory. But I'm theory. not against the vaccine either, James. That's my whole point. Right. That's my whole point. Yeah, good for her. It goes on. It's this kind of pressure that's really made it difficult for me to make my decision. Now, well, the then speak, speak within, to the scientists and the doctors. Within, yes, which I have been listening. Within my circles, um, I would say the majority of people within my circles are very anti-vaccine, okay, because of obviously the, the information that we have from the natural health point of view. Now, the problem which is, is cobblers. Not, because I've not been pro-vaccine necessarily, I've then been... Love the way she just ignores the dickhead and carries on when he's talking about natural health being cobblers. Again, remember what I said at the very beginning of the programme. These, the organisations these goons work for have been given millions of pounds in advertising revenue by the government. That is why I called O'Brien and, and, and Nick Ferrari and Sheila Fogarty basically the, the modern-day Lord Ho-Hos. They're propagandists. They were never journalists to begin with, like I said, but they were better than that. And it's their job now to destroy any talk, to shout down any talk about natural healing, natural health, and to ridicule people, and to uh, embarrass people. But this uh, woman is good, she's not putting up with it. Then being almost labelled as, the the term that's being used is awake, on the other side, people who know better. I'm not comfortable with that, because I'm not in that category either. I'm just in the middle... I'm just a person who says, I actually don't know. I'm not sure. Well, then speak to people who do know. Like who? Well, the problem is... Speak to virologists. Virologists. But there are plenty of virologists, including Sir Charit Bhakti, world-famous Dolores Cahill. They're saying don't have it. 
Can I? Well, okay. It's the position I've well, come to. But why to, is that I've even? Like, why is that even controversial okay. thing to say? If, the, you, if your car breaks I, down, do you go to a mechanic or do you go to your friends in your circle? Position I came to yesterday. Well, we generally go to our friends, don't we? If there's something wrong with your car, you generally most of us don't have a mechanic. Most of us don't. I'm sure some people do. You ask your mates for advice. Might save you a few bob too, you know. Okay. But the Please, I came just to tell me that, if you would. That, look, can I just say, though, the position yeah, I've been to today is I am going to have the jab. <clears throat> I am good, going to have good, the good, jab. Good, 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 good. Well done. Okay. And the reason was because I spoke Hallelujah. to somebody. Uh, well, Hallelujah, he says. Well, I've listened to lots of people, and this is what I wasn't getting the chance to do because everyone's so angry about this. But no one's angry. Well, maybe your mates are, but I think the question you need to ask them is if their car breaks down, will they talk to each other or will they drive to a mechanic? If they need to have root canal... Well, if the car breaks down, they can't fucking drive to a mechanic, can they, dickhead? Now surgery, will they get their mates yeah, round to do it in the kitchen often, or will they go to the dentist? Often you get second opinions. You go to, to a specialist. Off another mechanic. You go to or you go to a specialist or a mechanic. You go to another one. They give you two different quotes, two different ideas, two different diagnoses. And you know, no, no they is, don't. This isn't my car. This is my body. Yes, ex- exactly. Which I- is why you should be even more um, enthralled yeah. to experts and qualified people than you would enthralled to experts and qualified people. People than you would be with your car. I mean, you, yeah, you, your but- argument is the opposite of what you think it is. You're suggesting that yeah. you would be more likely to trust your quotes circles and your natural mechanics than you would be to trust actually fully qualified proven experts yeah, and people who... And he's twisting her words because she never said that. Entire lives the, fixing cars. The problem I have with this is that although Go the on. natural world isn't, uh, you know, we, we don't specialise in virology and vaccinations, obviously, yeah. that doesn't poo-poo the fact that the natural world is a, or the natural uh, medicine isn't a scientific entity, which it is. I'm and all, 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 of the, all of the naturally all of the naturally occurring substances in the natural world that have efficacy in the context of treating illnesses have been absorbed into what we yes. call the what, not alternative medicine, but actual medicine. So What a liar O'Brien is. Listen to what he says there again. He knows he's lying here. This is the thing, you see. This is where these guys are... I would say borderline evil. This is evil, this. O'Brien knows that what he says here is totally untrue. Virology and vaccinations, obviously. Listen. That doesn't poo-poo the fact that the natural world is a, or the natural uh, medicine isn't a scientific entity, which it is. All of the naturally occurring substances in... All of the naturally occurring substances now. ...in the natural world that have efficacy in the context of treating illnesses have been absorbed into what we yes. call the what, not alternative medicine, but actual... He, he's so stupid he can't summon the term complementary medicine. He's a fucking idiot, O'Brien. And he's also lying. But actual medicine. So, uh, yes. again... I just, uh, lying through his teeth, the European Union and the MHRA in this country and the FDA in the United States has spent most of the last 25 years banning perfectly natural substances, plants, plants and oils derived from plants that have proven to heal people for thousands of fucking years. They've been banning these things to try and prevent people from getting them. And they've been doing that, governments have been doing that, at the behest of the pharmaceutical companies that have presented the poisonous coronavirus vaccines. O'Brien knows this. Any journalist worth his salt will know because every presenter in the world has covered this over the last 20 years. There has been a war 
on the natural world, on, on products that have been taken, not products, but you know what I mean, on medicines that have been extracted naturally from plants and trees. And he knows this. To say that everything natural that has efficacy has been absorbed into medicine, it doesn't get any worse than that, does it? Just get, get, get the jab and tell your friends next time their car breaks down to just join a Facebook group and see if that will fix their big end, yeah? I get that. I mean, last Good. night, can I just say quickly, last what night was I was invited to an awake group for people who are awake to go along to a... Uh, health rights meeting, which is about obviously not having a jab, and I think there's going to be, I hope the person who invited me is listening, but there's going anyway, to be... Anyway, she gets cut off in about 10 seconds. She did very well in the face of provocation there from the goon, that is James O'Brien. He's not a journalist, by the way. London School of Economics graduate. Right? I don't need to say any more, do I? That's who they pollute the airwaves with now. People like him, but that's what what it is. It's six minutes to five o'clock. Uh, my great friend Jean Anne has reminded me evening primrose for one as something perfectly natural, healthy, no side effects, efficacious, proven to work, banned. Banned by politicians in the pocket of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world. This is the Richie Allen radio show. Sure it is. Um, what was I going to tell you? Feck all, I'm going to play some Prince. David Icke went to see Prince some years ago when Prince was still alive. Prince was a big, um, a voracious reader of David's books. And he reached out to David and he said, come to one of my concerts, I look after you. And he gave him the royal treatment in, uh, in London. I can't remember if it was the O2 Arena. I think it was actually. And Prince met David backstage. They had a lovely conversation. And David said to me, Richie, you know, you know I've obviously been a big fan of 60s music and 70s music and... You know, I didn't know too much about Prince. And I said, yeah. David said to me, he was magnificent. The show was magnificent. Prince is a genius. Played so many instruments. Wonderful voice, great range, great songs. I said, there you are, Ikey. There you are. Don't be knocking. Modern music. Modern music. It was the 80s, of course. Anyway, I think it was uh, sometime around 2009 or 10 when David saw him. Here's Prince, Raspberry Beret on the Richie Allen Show. Yeah, the one and only Prince there and Raspberry Beret. Uh, time is coming up for a minute to six o'clock. Good to be with you this Tuesday. Mad old dates. Mad around here at the moment. I mentioned earlier on renovations going on. It's never good that, is it? Renovations. It's not that. Um, it's not. It's, it's not that. It's the people being around. That's not the thing. It's just. That's just the inconvenience. You know. You, you become creatures. We become creatures of habit. Don't we? The, the older we get, the less inclined we are to be, you, you know, to go easy with any disruption. The older we get, the more annoying it becomes. But anyway, there you are. It has to be done, I suppose. Has to be done. The Richie Allen Show is, of course, archived on Podomatic.com. If you missed any episode, go to RichieAllen.Podomatic.com. Your podcast provider, whoever that is will provide the Richie Allen radio show. It's podcasted every afternoon after the programme. iTunes, Spotify, the usual. Podbean, whichever one, as I said, you use. No more uploads to YouTube. I've got to mention that again, because I had emails re-same. I had emails re-same. Oh, come on, Richie. No, I will not be uploading the programme to YouTube again. For obvious, what's the point? 
the episode will be deleted and the channel will be deleted. So there's no point. Had a lovely email from Judy O'Hanrahan in Dublin in Malahide. Which member of you two is from Malahide? Malahide. Jesus, Richie, say it properly. It's Adam Clayton, isn't it? I should know this. It's Adam. Judy says, Richie, I'm in Dublin. You're keeping me sane. Come over to Malahide for a drink. Free hugs here, says Judy. If you don't come, we'll have to go over there and hug you. I have a free gaff, she says. Loads of space for you and your wife. Not married yet, Judy. Not married yet. We're saving up. <laughs> We're saving up. 46 now and I'm saving up for my wedding. Lovely um, uh, email, uh, Judy. Thanks. She says, lots of love from the unvaccinated. The only over 40-year-old in Malahide without fear, says Judy. I hope you're wrong, Judy. I hope there are more than you. I hope there's more over 40-year-olds without fear in Malahide. It's definitely Adam Clayton. I'm sure it is. Anyway, I'll just prattle on by myself, so I will. I'll prattle on. Thanks for your tweets, by the way. Lots of them. Darren is looking forward to a weekend off. This weekend. Steady on, Darren. It's only Tuesday. He says, I'm looking forward to a weekend off. Going to do plenty of hugging and plenty of other activities ending in ING. Drinking. Lovely. Fishing. Lovely. Bonking. Yes, of course, no doubt. Hi to Conan. Richie, are you never tempted to phone into James O'Brien's radio show under a false name and see what happens? Would be Radio Gold. It might be Conan, but it would be a very cheap thing to do. It's the sort of thing that cowards like James O'Brien would do. To try and upstage somebody or to shanghai them. I couldn't do that. I would bring them up and give them my name. I couldn't do that because, uh, well, it's a bit cheap and a bit... It, it, it's the sort of bullying thing that he would do. You know? He's a coward, James O'Brien. Him and all his ilk. James O'Brien knows damn well what's going on. So does Nick Ferrari. So does Sheila Fogarty. So does Ian Collins. They know exactly what is going on. I would imagine many of these people lie awake of an evening shivering with fear. Comforting themselves with the idea fooling themselves lying to themselves by saying things like, ah, you're doing it for your family. You're doing it for your family so that you can afford the £700,000 house just outside London. So that you can afford the private school for your children. You're doing it for them. These are the lies these people tell themselves. Because they're cowards. They know what's going on, these people. Andrew Marr, BBC. Sophie Ridge, Sky News. In... in, in on Sunday mornings, they know. They know. They've been around the block. But they choose to lie to themselves and say, listen, there's nothing you can do about it. So take the money and you're doing it for your kids so that they'll have a nice future. But that's a whopper of a lie to tell yourself. Because you're hammering nails into the coffins of your children's futures. You are. The presenters. Because you know what's coming down the line. And what your children are going to have to deal with. That's what I would say. But then again, as I've said before, you can fill books, libraries, with the things that I don't know. I kid you not. Right. Shall we get um, Cindy on the programme? Let's do it. Let's do it. Oh, Jesus. Hang on a second now. Hang on. 
Right. Make sure I've got the right phone number on phone and give uh, Cindy a ring. Okay, this is an amazing story, really. Irish people would have been following this, I'm sure. No doubt they would have been following this over the last few days, over the weekend. I'll read you just a little bit of the email that Cindy sent to me before um, saying hello to her. I think she's standing by. But just before we say hello to Cindy, she sent me an email this afternoon. Lovely email, and I'm glad she did. She said, Richie, I'm an Irish lady who flew from London to Dublin on Friday last and was put into quarantine because I had the incorrect COVID test. I was lied to by the police in Ireland and was held against my will at a hotel in Dublin. I asked an Irish army officer if I could have legal advice and he refused me. I want to highlight this story because I feel it went against my human rights. I was threatened with arrest so many times. And I know many of you are following this. Uh, Cindy did post a very emotional video on Twitter a couple of days back where she was obviously understandably upset as she was in quarantine. Let's welcome to the programme Cindy Connolly. Cindy, it's lovely to meet you despite the circumstances. How are you? Hi, Richie. Um, I'm all right, I guess. <laughs> you're hanging in there. and I, I understand at the moment you are you were released from quarantine eventually, were you, Cindy? I was, yeah. yeah. Thank God for that. Do you, want to, do you want to take us back mm. to last Friday and tell the story in your own words? And I won't be interrupting you, so take all the time you want. Sure. Um, it's um, Basically, I'll take you back further than last Friday because we had a problem with my dad's carer and um, I um, phoned up at the um, woman who organises the carers. My dad's 79 and he'd just come out of hospital um, and there were some issues with the carer. So she decided that she would get a new carer, but she wasn't sure when she could get one. And I said, listen, not to worry, I'm going to fly home. Because my car packed up, I'm a driving instructor, it's in the Ford garage at the moment, and that's another issue. But anyway, um, so I decided, right, I'm going to fly home, and it was kind of a bit all last minute. So I thought I'll pop down to the um, testing centre and get myself a test, exactly like I did when I flew over in March of this year. I spent a month with my dad. Um, he really needed quite a lot of support and I wasn't working because I wasn't allowed to work in the UK because of the pandemic um, and self-employed. So, um, exact same test. Um, uh, I thought that's fine because they let me in the last time and it was March and it was like the height of the pandemic. So I thought, right, I'll, I'll you know, um, fly over with that test. So I got to the airport Queuing up, Ryanair's checking everything. Uh, yep, looked at my text saying it's negative, that's fine. Jump on the plane, text my dad, uh, told him that I'd text him when I landed. So uh, airplane landed at Dublin Airport about probably about 9.30, I think it was. Texted my dad, just landed dad, and I'll see you soon. So that's fine. Um then I went into the um, hall where the immigration is. So I'm queuing up and there's quite a lot of people in the queue. So I'm queuing up. Um, I go to the immigration and he asks for my passenger locator form. I showed it to him. That's grand. He looked at the text, um, proof of a negative COVID test. And he looked and he said, oh, that's that's not a PCR test. And I said, Oh, um, what do you mean? Um, he said, oh, you're supposed to have a PCR test. So I said, okay, um, 
Well, I flew in, I, I scrolled down and I showed him the test that I had um, previous to that in March. And I said, look, I, I flew on, in on this test. Um, you know, what's the situation? Because if I got through in March, what's the story? So he said um, that uh, I wasn't allowed uh, entry at the moment and that he would be, uh, he asked me to join another queue where I could speak to the police. So at that point, I started to get a bit panicky because yeah. I thought, oh my God, the, the police, I mean, what's going on, you know? Yeah. So I didn't want to phone anybody just yet. I I thought, let me see what's going on. So when I got to speak to a, a police lady, um, she told me, she cautioned me and she said that I was breaking some kind of law. And I said, look, um, I need to get home to my dad because he's got no carer this weekend and I really need to be there because there's no one with him. Uh, I just want to go home. Just, you know, what's going to happen? Where am I going to go? So she said, someone's going to take you to a centre where you explain your circumstances and she said, you'll be home this evening. Don't worry about it. And I said, but what's actually going on? Will I get any kind of legal advice when I go there? Am I going to get any kind of advice? And she goes, don't worry, there'll be someone there to advise you when you get there. So then I'm put over into a corner with another 15 people who are in the same circumstance as me. There was one lad who actually got scammed in London. He went to a clinic, uh, it was totally fake. He paid, I think he paid about 80 quid for the privilege of getting a fake COVID test, PCR test. And uh, he was sitting there as well. And there was a lot of like uh, other people there who had uh, lateral flow test and didn't uh, understand why they had been, you know, detained. So we're all sitting there and, you know, um, we sat there for about maybe two hours, I think. And then someone came over. Now, in the meantime, people needed to go to the toilet and we were actually escorted to the toilet by a security guard in Dublin Airport. No way. So, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So that's all fine. I'm not feeling too bad at this stage. I'm thinking, well, she said I was going to go to the centre and I'll probably have a test, going to come back negative and um, I, can, I can be on my way. So I'm not too worried. I started to get slightly worried when the customs turned up and wouldn't nobody would answer our questions um, as to where we were going. Um, and then the customs escorted us to the exit of the, where you come out at Dublin Airport, you know, the kind of where your family would meet you and everything. Yeah. So just before that, we were met by um, an Irish army officer in the whole camouflage gear and everything. And I thought, right, okay, this is getting a bit more serious and we asked where we were I, I, I asked where we were being taken to um, and I, all he could say is everything would be explained when we get there and I said yeah but where are we going is it in Dublin like where yeah it's in Dublin and I said but where are we actually going I want to know where I'm going right now we, we'll explain that when you get there everybody was quite bemused but we went along with it because you know this is um, he's an Irish army officer. I mean, I, I I was brought up to kind of trust people in authority. So I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'll jump through the hoops and I'll I'll just get home to my dad. That was the goal. Like, got onto a bus. Um, 
there was a girl, God bless her, she was from Northern Ireland. She was bawling her head off on the bus. Um, she was really, really upset. There was another lady whose uncle was dying in hospital. And all she wanted to do was go to see her uncle. Um, and there was a woman and her husband, some small kids. Um, anyway, we were driven to the Croke Park Hotel in Dublin, pulled up, and another Irish army officer got onto the bus and told us that we would be going into the hotel. Someone questioned him as to what was going on and, um, you know, could he give us any more information? And he turned his back and just got off the bus. This is like something so out of a film at- now, Cindy. What you're describing to me it's- is like something I've seen in a science fiction movie. It's astonishing what and you're that's how I. That's how I felt. That I thought I was in a movie. It was really weird. It was something like, I don't know, it was just very, very strange. Um, we were escorted into the reception of the hotel and then there's kind of this room where just off like the main bit where there's a, there was a bar and everything and when I saw the bar I thought oh my god I, I could I could do with a drink to calm my nerves because I was in bits you know yeah, yeah. Um, but we, we sat down anyway everybody sat down on different tables we were given numbers on different tables and then we were um, given, uh, we were told to go up to reception one by one. So I went up to reception. The lady said to me at reception, oh yeah, I had my name and everything, all my details. And she gave me some forms. So I, she gave me an envelope with forms in it. So I questioned her. I said, can I just ask, is this, is this free of charge? This, you know, I, 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 you know, because she said you have to fill in the check-in form. Is this free of charge? She said, uh, I can't answer that question. I said, am I liable? I can't answer that question. I was like, what is going on? So I took the papers, went back to the table. I'd see other people filling out the papers. I opened the papers and had a look at them. And there was a guest registration form. And I thought, well, I'm not filling that in because I'm not a guest. Um, Good for you. Uh, so I asked to speak to an SLO, a state liaison officer, which was an Irish army soldier. And I asked him if if I was entitled to legal advice, and he said no. He said no. He said no, no. Um, so I said, uh, so this security guard come in, and she said, look, just fill in the forms. This is a, a security guard from Sword Security. She said, just fill in the form. Um, and then someone piped up and said, "Are we liable?" And she said, uh, "She she said, are we liable for billing?" And the security guard responded by saying, no, you're not. You're just filling in the form. We just need you to fill in the form. Now, there's two conflicting messages. Yeah, yeah. Because the Irish Army officer, when I spoke to him, he said that I would be liable. And then the security officer for the hotel said I wouldn't be liable. So I'm sitting here with these forms and um, I'm thinking I'm not going to put pen to paper because I need some advice. What am I going to do? Uh, Because I don't really know what's going on here. So I asked to speak to the manager of the hotel. So the manager of the hotel came down and I said to her, can you tell me how much it is to stay here for the night? She said, "Um, well, what do you mean? And I said, I want to know if I'm liable. She said, well, we can't tell you that. I said, can you tell me if I walk out of here tomorrow, tomorrow, daytime or whatever? Are you going to charge me? 
And I, th- I, I think if I remember rightly, she said, yeah. And I said to her, well, if that's the case, I can't afford this. And she said, well, you can just refuse to pay. And I said, well, how much is it? And she goes, it's £155 a night. Then another SLO came along and he said that I would be um, staying in the hotel um, Friday night. On Saturday, someone would come and do a PCR test. And on Sunday, I would get the results, make an appeal, and I would be let go. So I thought to myself, that's Friday night and Saturday night. That's £155 for two nights. That's 360 I not to mention, that. not to mention okay. that you're worried about your dad, who's not got any care at this well, stage. Of course, yeah, of course. And he and I hadn't phoned my dad because, well, I'd phoned him to say that I, I, I can't get out right now. There's, there's things going on. I haven't had the correct test. I'm really, really sorry. You know, can you just hang on in there? And I'll. I, the, the police said I'd be home in a couple of hours. But that wasn't the case. That wasn't wasn't what I was told when I got to the hotel. Now, when you're in that situation, because it's like people in like hindsight is twenty twenty, yeah. So people will turn around and say to you, "You should have done this, or you should have just walked out." You know, you don't know what to do. No, I didn't have legal advice. I didn't know what my rights were. I didn't know I was was entitled to. But I mean, first and foremost, I knew I was entitled to some kind of legal advice. But then I was told I wasn't. You were told you weren't by the army, so, by the officer. Now, uh, it's, a, it's a good point you make there, Cindy, about, you know, your right to walk away. Did any of these people communicate to you and the others right. that you couldn't leave? Okay. Right. I said, I said um, to the security officer, we are being held under duress. Right? We're being held under duress. I do not um, give my consent to be held here. I said, what happens if I walk out right now? She said, we'll call the guards. Right. We'll call the guards and we'll have you arrested. So I said, well, I don't want that because, you know, my job and everything, I need a DBS check. I can't, I can't risk that. I need to sort this out in a calm and civilised manner. But nobody's given me any advice. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I mean if I, I, I I'm, I'm just thinking if I had have walked out I most likely would have gotten legal representation because once you're arrested you're entitled to legal representation. That's a great point. Yeah, isn't that really important? If If you'd have left and then been taken to a nearby guard a station, at that point they would have had no choice but to provide you with a with a solicitor. Yeah. That's a good point, Cindy. And not to mention the fact that the, the the first thing that they would probably have asked me would be, do you have any health conditions? Yeah. Do you have you eaten? I haven't eaten anything since five o'clock that morning. Nobody. I mean, we'd all been in the same scenario. Some people had travelled much further than I had to to get to Stansted. So what the hell is going on here? Jesus. The, no food, no nothing. Just fill in these forms. So I said, I got really upset then. I I hate getting upset in front of people because I am a very strong individual. But I just was so desperate. I just started to cry. And I said, I don't know what's going on here. Um, I'm not filling in these papers. And they said, OK, fine, don't fill in the papers. Now, beforehand, they had told me I had to fill in the papers in order to be put into quarantine. And now they're telling me, OK, fine, don't fill in the papers. What will happen is we'll put you up in a room and we will get back to you 
um, uh, give us just give us a little bit of time. We'll get back to you. We'll get you an appeals form and you can fill it in and whatnot. Now, I'm up in the room then. They put me up into a room. I'm up in the room and I decided I started feeling very edgy. Um, I started feeling very panicky. So I thought I'm, I'm just going to go out and walk around the the. Um, I went out of my room and I walked around the, um, the corridors, kind of like around. Yeah, around the corridors. Yeah. So I walked around the corridors and trying to like walk off this nervous energy that I have because I felt like I was going to have a panic attack or something. Um, and I um, was walking around and I was stopped by a security guard and I was told that if I didn't get back to my room that I'd be arrested. And I said, I, I really don't, I, you know, this is not acceptable. I said, this is not normal. I said, I haven't been given any advice. Nobody's come to me. Nobody's given me any food. What is going on? And then another security guard come along and they were radioing down saying, what room is she in? And blah, blah, blah. And because they, want, they wanted to escort me back to my room. When I got back to the room, I was, uh, just became more panicky because I thought, oh my God, I can't even leave this room. Yeah. Um, and I started having a panic attack. Uh, I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought, oh my God, my heart was beating out of my chest. I had chest pains, couldn't breathe properly. Um, and that was about after being in there for about, I was probably in the room for about three, three and a half hours with no contact. I was screaming, crying. Nobody came to my room. Nobody came to check on me, nothing. I phoned down to reception and I asked them to call an ambulance. I said I didn't feel well. So two medics or a medic came up to me uh, up to the room and I said to her um, do you know what time it is and she said it's 7 o'clock and I said 7 o'clock I said how long have I been here and she said I don't know and I said well I said I arrived here um, possibly 6 hours ago and I and because she came in and asked me if I had any medical conditions and that's why I said do you know how long I've been here 6 hours I, how do you know you, nobody asked me if I had any medical conditions when I came in here do you know what I mean? Nobody checked to see, you know, before they even put me up in a room to see, is she diabetic? Is she this? Is she that? Does Reckless. she have a history of whatever? Reckless. And yeah. so they could have put me in that room and, and anything, uh, you know, thankfully I'm a healthy person. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, they didn't check. Nobody offered me any food. Do you know what I mean? Um, she said to me after that, um, uh, I said, I didn't call for a medic. I want an ambulance. And she said, yeah, we're, we're getting one. And I said, and I waited an hour for an ambulance, an hour, an hour and a half, an hour and 35 minutes, actually. That's how long I waited if for you were, If you were having a heart attack at that stage, then the, well, it might have, yeah, you'd, it, be gone. you'd have been gone, yeah. 90 minutes, you'd yeah. And who knows when they rang the ambulance so, as well. That's the thing. But anyway. Exactly. Um, oh, so, I mean, it, 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 it just... It was crazy. I was brought to the Matter Hospital um, when I was being taken out of the hotel by the paramedics. Lovely guys, fantastic. Um, and they were concerned as well because I have a, a history of tachycardia, like um, missed beats and double beats in my heart. So they said, right, well, we, we need to get you to A&E as soon as possible. As they were wheeling me out of the, uh, of the hotel, there's two soldiers standing by the door they asked the paramedics, um, what time will she be finished? Can you give us a ring? And the paramedic turned around and said, no, sorry, mate, we, we're in, that's not our job. And I could see them, like they were mumbling under their breath, like what the hell is going on here? And they told me that it was their first time that they'd been called to one of these kind of hotels. 
I can't believe my year, Cindy. This is, as an Irishman living in Salford, I'm hearing about Ireland. I'm not listening to a story about Nazi Germany. This is Ireland. So they bring you to the Mater Hospital. You have a history of tachycardia. That's a concern, obviously. So the guys are looking after you in the hospital. And two army uniformed guys show up to supervise this and they want to know when you're done so that they can take you back. I'm not trying to... No, sensation. sorry, Richie. They, they weren't supervising. They were standing by they the hotel standing. as I was leaving. Ah, yeah, yeah. So they were there to make sure that you got to the hospital. That you didn't they leave. They wanted to yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so wow. basically what happened was yeah. I arrived at the Matter Hospital. Um, I was checked. I, I was left there for about two hours sitting there in, on my own, mind you. No security, nothing. I was just left there. I could have left. But I felt unwell. I couldn't leave. I just felt... I was yeah. shaking. I was in bits. I was shaking, I had chest pain, you know, I just thought, oh my God, what is going on? Um, I, they eventually um, got a nurse, they checked me in, they put me in a room on my own um, and they did a COVID swab PCR test, they checked my blood, they, they were really good now, they were very, very thorough, they checked my blood, they did another ECG. They did a chest x-ray. The doctor came in to speak to me. Um, I said, has my uh, negative result come back yet? She said, no, not yet. I said, if it comes back negative, can I go home to my dad? She said, I don't see why not. Right, okay, so that's fine. I'm texting my sister saying, I think I'm going to be allowed out because if, like, when when the test comes back negative, um, then they're going to let me out. So... About 10 minutes later, I noticed that there's a security guard sitting outside my room. I'm thinking, okay, that's new. And then uh, I hear a nurse previous to that on the phone saying, yes, she's going, she's going to be discharged. So they had actually, um, the nurse had obviously had a conversation with the doctor and said, and this lady can't go home. She's got to go back to the quarantine facility. They'd phoned the quarantine facility to get someone to come pick me up. So at about 3.30 in the morning, um, I was escorted with a negative COVID test. I asked for that um, paperwork. They handed it to me in the hospital. I was escorted by hospital security from um, the room that I was in to a minibus and then escorted by two men back to the hotel. When I got back to the hotel, the security guard there said to me um, that uh, I was to go back up to the room. And I said, no, I have a negative PCR test. I want to leave now. And they said that they would get an SLO um, on the phone. So they got the SLO on the phone. I spoke to him and he said that I had to make an appeal before I was released. An appeal? you. An uh, appeal. What's, what's yeah. that about? An appeal to who? I think it was the Department of Health. Wow, Cindy. You've got the bloody thing in your hand, the negative result. Yeah. And they're saying, no, you can't go anywhere. So, You've got to do an appeal. You must have been absolutely... How you didn't go crazy at this stage? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know, but I just kind of thought I need to think about this logically. So if I lose, I can't lose it. I can't afford to lose it. I need to think about this logically. So let's just keep calm and try to sort it out. So basically after that, I, when he said he needed an appeal, I hung up the phone and I phoned the guards. 
I phoned 999 and, and I got names and I got badge numbers and I got everything. So the person who answered the phone, the guard um, who answered the phone said to me, I said, I'm currently being detained at such and such a hotel, the Croke Park Hotel. I said, um, I have a negative PCR test. I want to go home, explain my circumstances. Um, he said, I can't help you there. He said, I'm sorry. Um, I said, what's your name? The minute I took his name, he said, actually, let me just check. He gave me a 1850 number, like some kind of COVID health regulation helpline. I got off the phone to him. I phoned the helpline. Of course, the helpline is closed because it's now four o'clock in the morning. Um, After that, I phoned the guards back and I got a horrendous response saying, don't you dare call back here. We've heard from you already. This is ridiculous. You calling us. We will not be going down there. And the guy wouldn't give me his name, but he did provide me with his badge number. Um, I I then um, uh, decided that I was going to call a solicitor. Um, I phoned solicitors, phones were ringing off, um, and the security guard there at the time from Sword Security, um, she was actually the only person who showed me any kind of empathy whatsoever. She said to me, listen, she said, um, just try to calm down. She said, you're not going to be able to do anything in the next couple of hours. Just go back up to the room and go to sleep. And I said, do you understand what you're saying to me? Yeah, yeah. Would you be able to sleep in my position? So I, she escorted me back up to the room um, and I just felt totally disheartened and I just couldn't believe what, what was going on. And I started to go online and I started to do videos and to be honest, I have videos of everything. I have videos of when I was on the coach. I have videos of the confrontation and the conversations that I had with the Irish Army. Uh, I have videos that I have um, from the security. I can prove everything that I've just told you. Um, uh, so, you know, anybody that, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong with, with all the social media and everything, the majority of... Um, the comments and all, you know, it's all support, you know, oh, They're no all, doubt, everybody's yeah. disgusted. The How majority of people. How could you not be? This reminds me of dystopian science fiction movies that I might have seen in the 1980s. You know, futuristic yeah. worlds where people, uh, my mate Jean Ann is listening to this in Cleggan in Connemara, and she mm. says it's Kafka-esque. It is Kafka-esque. It's reminiscent of Franz Kafka's lunatic uh, world, the, the oppression, the, the illogical mm. nature of everything that happened, totally illogical, spooky, sinister, mm. and you've had to put up with, with all of that. I mean, the video you put on Twitter, it's heartbreaking to watch that. I mean, you're at your wit's oh, end I've there, got, you're at your lowest, I've got, whole, you? I've got a whole lot more videos. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not just me that's in them. But, I mean, um, after that, uh, I was... Uh, there was a knock on the door, I think about 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, someone handed me a form to do an online appeal. I did the online appeal. Then I got a phone call at about half nine. Um, and it was some. It was uh, someone called Robert. And Robert, actually, my, my partner's name is Robert. And he lives in over in, over in the UK. And um, 
basically I thought it was him and I thought why is he ringing me through the hotel why doesn't he just ring my phone but it happened to be a solicitor and he said I've heard about your plight he's a member of a group called um, Ireland on lockdown Um, and it's on telegram and I had never heard of any such groups or anything like that. And he said, listen, he said, I'd really like to help you. He, I, so previously, um, literally five minutes before he phoned me, I got a phone call saying that I could leave. And this was a guy, uh, this guy from um, Sword Security, who previously called me a smart ass and said he didn't like my attitude and uh, all this. But... Um, uh, so this guy called Robert phoned me. He said, I'm on this group, Ireland on lockdown. He said, I really want to help you um, get released. I said, Robert, they, I actually burst into tears the minute he said, I'd really like to help you get out of there. I burst into tears because it was kind of like, right, finally someone wants to help me, you know? Like, finally I'm speaking to a solicitor. Yeah. But I, I should have been speaking to a solicitor. Like, why didn't somebody just tell me uh, here's here's like a solicitor that you can phone for free legal aid. Do you know what I mean? What? Why yeah. couldn't the police tell me that? Why couldn't the Irish Army tell me that? Why couldn't the staff at the Croke Park Hotel tell me that? Surely I was entitled to some kind of legal rep- representation. How can they hold people and not give them any kind tell of... Tell them nothing. Th- yeah, they told you nothing. Anything. I mean, that must be a violation of people's human rights. You can't just kidnap people and stick them on a bus and transport them into the city and throw them into a hotel and tell them nothing and put um, ice-cold security staff around who, you know, ignore them. That that can't be right, like... I mean, as an Irish woman... I mean, that's not Ireland, is it, Cindy? That's not what I imagine Ireland to be, that we would go along. That's North Korea, that. Isn't it? Well, that's what my son said to me on the phone last night. He said, "Mom." I'm so proud of you. I can't believe like you. And I said, but sure, what, what, what else would you expect me to do? I'm not going to sit there and fill in forms no. and sign stuff that I do not consent to. Yeah. I would not. And that's what, exactly what he said. He said, Mom, it's like North Korea. And my kids came to Ireland every summer and stayed with my dad. And like my dad had his own business and worked for my dad. And they loved Ireland. And to be honest, that, that dream, that whole romantic idea of Ireland is gone for me. It's gone. Yeah, we you like know, it. We like a bit sorry of them. for the Irish people. I'm so glad. And, I, you know, I'm so glad I live in the UK. I know. You know I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. But bloody hell, there is accountability. Do you know what I mean? There's accountability to an extent that when you ask for some kind of representative, you'll get it. They don't go along with these cloak and dagger scenarios. Now, listen, I'm not going to contradict you because I don't know that you're right or wrong. But I would suspect, um, Cindy, this is just my opinion. It's just opinion. It's only my Mm. opinion. That the, the, The governments of Europe, they seem to be kind of in lockstep when it comes to this. I think if a... UK citizen was to come back into the country from somewhere else, from Spain or or somewhere like that, or another part of the world, I wouldn't be surprised if they were subjected to what you were subjected to. I wouldn't be. I mean, look, don't forget this. this, Go on, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you see, I've had, I've had experiences like, not like this, but I've had experiences of incompetence within the Irish system before. 
Yeah, I've had experiences of, you know, um, I've been over here before with my young children and um, my son needed to see a dentist and I phoned the dentist and I made a complaint about something and I asked the guy at the dental office for his name and he wouldn't give me his name. Now, if we were in the UK, that just wouldn't happen. You're obliged to give that person your name. Yeah. So there's things that go on in Ireland um, and have gone on for years that are just totally, um, they're very blasé about the way that they go about things. There doesn't seem to be any kind of regulation. And if there is, they're not adhering to it. I'll give you this, uh, Cindy, I'll give you this. Sorry to interrupt you, I'll give you this. When it comes to the Garda oath, the oath that a Garda Shia whether, you know, you know, when, when they are about to go on duty for the first time, um, mm. they don't act on their oath. I've seen a thousand videos of people calmly and reasonably asking, uh, uh, you know, Gardy, are they on their oath? Are you behaving as you should do? What's your name? And I've seen Gardy online on YouTube videos and elsewhere behaving reprehensibly. So I'll give you that. No doubt about that. Mm. But I've seen mm. cops over here act just as bad, you know. I know you're not running down Ireland. And listen, I left Ireland 16, 17, 18 years ago. And I've not been back. And I left with a lot of um, anger for the way that Ireland was going. So I'm not the biggest fan yeah. of Ireland, even though I love Ireland and I love Irish people. You see, you know so what I'm the great you, you pity know? is, right? Go on. The, the epitome of Ireland is community, family, yeah. uh, togetherness, supporting each other. Um, you know, even like the GAA, everything. That's how I was brought up. Yeah, me and that's too, yeah. why. And and, and, and my, my family, do you know what I mean? My parents, they were, oh my God, upstanding members of the community. My dad worked so hard. My mother, God rest her, she died years ago, but she was an absolute saint. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, they would be, I mean, she would be turning in her grave if she knew what was going on in Ireland today. They wouldn't believe it, would they? Our departed grandparents and parents, they wouldn't believe what's happening today in all. our country. And can I ask you this, Cindy? Like, yeah. I, I must, you know, I've I've been riveted by what you're saying so much that I've not done my uh, blooming job. I should have reminded our listeners, we're listening to Cindy Connolly. Cindy yeah. lives in London, but is Irish, obviously. And she's been describing what happened to her last weekend when she came back into the country to take care of her dad, whose care had moved on, leaving him, um, you know, vulnerable. He needs to be cared for. She had a lateral flow test in London. She passed that. When she arrived in Dublin, well, she's described it. I'm not going to go over and over it again. What happened to her being taken away to a, basically a detention centre, not being g- given any access to information as to why she was there, not given access to legal advice, Dreadful stuff, this. This is dreadful stuff. And, you know, I know what Cindy is saying is the truth. I've been reading about this in the Irish press uh, today and yesterday. Um, it's dreadful that this is going on in our country and it's important that more and more people hear about it. And Cindy, what, what would you... I mean, you're by the sounds of you, you're not prepared to let this go. Obviously, you're delighted. You know, you're going to be able to be with your dad. Thank God for that. But you're not letting it go, I don't believe. I feel like... Um to be honest, I mean, if there was anyone out there that could support me in a legal way, because I couldn't afford to take on, um, you know, I'm a single yeah. parent. I brought up three kids on my own, so I can't afford to 
uh, take on um, whoever I need to take on, I wouldn't even have a clue how to start the procedure. Um, so if there is anyone out there listening that wants to help um, to go down the road of, um, you know, I, I want these wrongs to be put right. I'm not saying, look, people might say, oh, we came in on the wrong test, blah, blah, blah. Right, whatever. Fair enough, if that's what's in the legislation. But you cannot take people somewhere and not tell them where they're going and not tell them how long they're going to be there for and not tell them that they're either liable or they're not liable for a stay in a hotel and not give them access to legal advice. You can't do that. It's wrong. And it shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen to anyone. Never mind happen to me. It shouldn't happen to anyone in any circumstance. It's not right. And that to me... Since I'm, I actually have been a nervous wreck for the past couple of days, and I don't think it's it's going to take a lot of um, time to get over this because I am constantly worried that the police are going to turn up at the door for whatever reason, or there might be some kind of backlash. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't trust the authorities now. How can you trust the authorities when you phone nine 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 looking for help and they tell they you to get you. lost? So what how the hell could you trust them after that? How could you? So what you're saying is you fear retaliation because you, because when you made the video, it embarrassed them. There's no doubt that your video and videos on Twitter, there's no doubt that those videos were, I think, instrumental in them. Even though you had the past PCR test, you had the past in your hand, I think the videos embarrassed them. And you're wondering now, I suppose, understandably, will they try and retaliate against you in some way? You're concerned about that. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I mean, um, I mean, you know, people say they would have no legal standing or whatever. It doesn't matter. They didn't have a legal standing to take me to a hotel and not give me access to legal advice. But yet they still did it. You know, this is the country that people live in now. How can this happen? A lot of people on Twitter, while we've been speaking, have made references to Nazi Germany. And and I know that people are doing it on Twitter and I know they're making a good point and they're not being any in any way disrespectful. The, 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 the point they're trying to make is a very good one. People were loaded on trains and they were told, oh, we won't tell you where you're going. Don't worry about it. It's good for you. It'll be okay. You know, that's where it begins. This is where it begins it, when it, people and, can and do I'll that. I'll tell you, that is exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. We were put on a bus we weren't told where we were going. We weren't. We were given a piece of paper saying that we were maybe liable for a 14-day stay in a hotel. Yeah? Jesus Christ, yeah. Sorry for swearing, but yeah. Unbelievable. The stress of that, you know, and you said that it's going to take you a while to get over it. It's a very traumatic thing. If it happened to me, it would take me some time to get over it as well. I don't blame you. Yeah. I'm just going to, can I give your Twitter um, name, handle out? Uh, folks, you can follow Cindy on Twitter. It's an easy one to remember. She's at Cindy Soul Music. At Cindy Soul Music. Cindy is a soul singer. Um, you'll find her there, Cindy Soul Music. So if anybody in Dublin or in Ireland knows or has any interest in this and might want to help Cindy explore uh, her legal options, f- uh, make a contact with her through Twitter. It's at Cindy Soul Music because you were gravely uh, wronged. Um, this is not inconvenience, this. This is wronging people. This is violating mm. people's basic rights. 
It's outrageous. And I'm not being funny, Richie. Yeah, another thing that I want to make a point of, yeah. Let's say that I was somehow um, had some some kind of um, psychological issue. Yeah, let's say I suffered with depression or God knows what. They they didn't ask me anything about my health. Nothing. That's right. You said that. Yeah. So so what would have happened if if you know if someone is detained like that and has mental health issues and then something happens to them in the hotel room? How does that work? How can you do that? That's astounding. You people at risk. That's, That's astounding. That's what you're doing. Astounding. It astounds me that you grab somebody at an airport. Um, march them onto a bus, throw them into a hotel, and you don't try and determine if they have any medical needs. That is astounding to me. I believe you as well. I totally understand, you know, that this is what now, happens. Now, Richie, Matt. let me just tell you now, yeah, let me just tell you, within the papers that they gave me, there was a medical form. But because I didn't consent to my detention, I didn't fill in the medical yeah. form. But yet they still didn't ask me verbally if I had any medical conditions. They never even approached the issue of the form. Once I got upset, okay, don't fill in the form, go up to the room. Ah. Right? So I just want to make that clear. There was a medical form With in the, the paperwork. Do you know what happened then? Yeah. So, so as far as they're concerned, once they've given you the forms, as far as they're concerned, they're, they fulfilled their obligations. And if you don't fill it in, well... You know, uh, tough cookies, basically. That's probably the attitude. But it's still not good enough. Maybe. But it's not good enough. It's though. not good enough. But but um, not not even being funny, like um, there were other people, once I piped up and said that I didn't want to um, uh, consent to filling in the form, there were other people in the same room that then decided they didn't win, want to fill in the form. And what happened to those people? They were rounded up and put into a different room. Yeah. Jesus, I can't believe it. I do believe it, but I can't believe it. I know what happened, but I can't believe it. I, I thought we were better than that, you know. Our, our people, well, I thought Well, we the better. Irish people, in essence, are better than that. It's just, unfortunately, the government aren't. Yeah. How's your dad? You know. Um, you know what? He's not too bad. Um, he has been totally, totally stressed out by the whole situation. Yeah. Totally stressed out by the whole situation. I mean, it's unnecessary. He's only gone out of hospital, for God's sake. Why would you want to cause any more problems for a 79-year-old? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, he's... I'm just glad to be home and, you know, I could have turned around and said, put me on a flight back to London. In fact, in the airport... Um, that's what we had asked if we could go on a flight back to London. And could because you? Because I was. No, 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 they, no. they no. wouldn't let us. Oh, Jesus. They wouldn't let us. It's opened your eyes, Cindy, right? To, what, to, what, to, what, to what's happening and to what people are capable of doing. Yeah, yeah, it really has. You know, I didn't consider anything like this before. Before. Um, but but I don't understand why there are so many inconsistencies with all this, you know, testing. And if I came in on the same test in March, when apparently the death rates were a lot higher than they are now, why was I stopped the other day and I wasn't stopped in March? Why? When I walked in in March, I was met by an immigration officer who looked at me, looked at my stuff and said, welcome back. 
He said, what's your reason for coming home? I said, I need to come home and look after my dad. He said, welcome back. And I thought, this is great. So Love what, Ireland. What because you know what? Everything's just, you know, people are just so nice to you. Do you know what I mean? And that doesn't mean that people still aren't nice. Don't get me wrong. Like neighbours, like our neighbours have helped us out so much. Um, you know, while my dad's been in hospital coming and feeding the dogs, our, our neighbour down the road has come every night to, to look after the dogs and feed them. Like fantastic. And the community and, you know, people messaging me saying, are you all right? This is disgusting what's happened and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just like, it's so sad to see such lovely people being governed by such evil, evil individuals. And the thing as well to remember before, we've got about two minutes left, Cindy. The thing to remember, of course, sure. as well is, and this has been proven and documented, you know, COVID-19 mm. is a mild respiratory illness. It doesn't affect mm. the great majority of people. It does not, by their own admission. It's it's mostly very senior and people with um, comorbidities that are at risk for it. The rest of us would well, only be mildly ill. It's Richie, not that can I just serious. Say I had COVID. I actually had COVID in January. So you had it. Now, how did it, um, what was I it like it. for you? How, how ill were you? I was ill. Don't get me wrong. I was. Yeah. I was quite ill, but not, it was like the worst flu I ever had. Yeah. Right, right. My bones were sore. I was coughing. I had a temperature, you know. I stayed at home. I stayed indoors. I was in bed for a couple of days and that was that. That was that. I've had it. So, you know, I, I, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not one of these people going, oh, it doesn't exist. It does exist. I had it. Yeah, yeah I tested yeah. positive for it. I did my car, like my self-isolation, all the rest of it. And that's it. But they're making it out to be the plague and it isn't. And that's where it's very sinister as to why mm. they're doing that. And I think, Cindy, mm. not, not that it's really... You know, anything that you should be concerned about, my opinion means nothing to you, nor should it. But I've believed for a long time that it's been taken advantage of by people who would who would like to have a lot more control over the things we do and where we go. And that's just my bloody opinion for what it's worth, you know. Yeah. Before yeah. um before yeah. we do run out of time, you're um you're a singer, obviously. And you mentioned, didn't you, at the beginning of the uh conversation that it's been difficult for you with work and all of that. So as a working singer then, it's been a difficult time for you, Cindy. So actually, Richie, I'm a driving instructor. I'm a self oh, driving instructor. Six, ah. Yeah, so singing is just the thing I do on the side. I ah, a bit of moonlighting. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I like that. It, yeah. So you're a driving instructor. So, that makes me laugh, Cindy. I am. I, I tell you why I'm <laughs> laughing at that. There's the backlog is what it's hundreds of thousands, right? You must be oh, inundated. Yeah, you must be inundated. Well, I was inundated before uh, Ford, um, before my engine. App, before, I yeah. only bought a car about a month ago. My engine blew up. So uh, it's in the garage. I'm trying to get my money back off Ford, but they're not being very helpful at the moment. <laughs> it's safe to say, Cindy, I think you've had better months than the last month that you've had. Let's be Listen, honest. Listen, that's probably the truest word spoken. <laughs> but you have an Irish sense words, of humour. Never mind. You know? my, my son told me to do the lotto tonight or whenever it is, so I better do it. <laughs> Do it all. Do the Euro Millions, do the Irish Lottery, do everything. Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks for reaching out and for sharing Not your hugely thanks, important story. And thanks to everybody for the support. Not really at all, Cindy. Hey, listen, I did mention right. Cindy Soul Music, but is there anywhere else people can reach out to you if they have... Oh, by the way, Fanula, um, who listens to this programme, uh, lovely Irish woman, Fanula, she says, Richie, oh. Dolores should... Excuse me, Dolores. Cindy should reach out to people like Dolores Kyle. 
Um, because I they're... have, I have already. I just haven't. Uh, I mean, you know, but this might be a bit slow. This story might be a bit slow on the uptake. I'm not really sure how it's panning out. I'm not very, yeah. you know, technologically technologically minded. So, I mean, I, I, I don't really know how it's... Uh, but I have reached out to her. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. See what happens. Eh? I, I'm following yeah. you now on Twitter. You're following me. So any developments. Sure. Uh, but you don't have to wait for yeah. any developments. Just say hello sometimes. It's been lovely to meet you, Cindy. Sure, I will do. And look after your old man. Look after, not at all, look after the dad. I will do, of course. Absolutely. Cheers, Cindy. God bless. Lovely to speak. I'm really sorry that happened to to Cindy and for anybody else that's happened to uh, as well. She's in Dublin now looking after the uh, the old pop. Uh, Cindy Connolly there had an absolutely nightmarish experience over the last weekend. Reached out to the programme this afternoon and asked to come on. Somebody put her in touch with it. She wasn't uh, aware of the programme at all, hadn't a clue, hadn't a scooby-doo about the programme, but somebody said, listen, if you want somebody to listen to you, uh, give that baldy gammon a ring. So uh, thankfully she got in touch and there you are. What do you say about that, you know? We've seen all these experiments over the years, haven't we, that look at uh, what you can persuade ordinary people to do, nice people to do, the things that you can make people do if you put them in the right set of circumstances. We saw all these things over the years. They've made documentaries, films, these Stanford experiments, you know. Crazy, you know. At what point does an army cadet or an army sergeant or an officer, at what point does he say to himself or does she say to herself, what the fuck am I doing? Taking an Irish woman or any woman, able-bodied, healthy, hale, hearty, Able body doesn't matter, by the way. You know, and taking them to, effectively, confinement. And telling them nothing. Denying them access to legal advice. How has it gotten to that? We know the answer. So there's no point in me elaborating on that. That's it for Tuesday's Richie Allen Radio Show. Thanks for listening to it. You're very kind to listen to it. Uh, Thanks again to Cindy Connolly. I'll be back with you tomorrow, Wednesday at 5 o'clock for Wednesday's programme. Really appreciate your company today. Take care of yourselves and one another. And it's good night from me.